So uh, this the, earlier this week, I was visiting um, some brother priests. We're part of a little priest fraternity group. It's super cool <laughs> to get together and talk about Jesus. And actually, it is cool. Um, but I was at this priest's house, and he had this box of um, China, uh, like not the country. Um, right, fine China. Right, dishes and saucers and cups and these. You, you're familiar with the. Right, they're your nice, your nice plates, your your nice dinnerware kind of thing. And he was like, "Yeah, I've got this box because um, someone had died in his family, and he inherited the china." And it was like, "I don't know what to do with this. Like, I don't entertain. Like, I don't have people come over. I have no idea. Will someone take the china?" And he convinced one of the other guys in the fraternity, a bunch of bros, um, priest bros, though, so it's kind of cool. Um, convinced one of the guys, like, "Oh, fine, I'll take your china and I'll find something to do with it." And I was thinking about this idea of china because the same thing happened in my family. When my grandparents on both sides, when they died, they're both, both, they had their, their china. And it was like a really big deal. I don't know if like, there's a certain generation where fine china was like a fine thing to have. And so growing up, if you ever had that kind of thing in your house, it was like, okay, this is the hutch that has the fine china. Don't touch the hutch. Like, don't touch. We don't use. It's so nice. We never touch it. Like, that's how, that's how nice it is. It's so expensive that we never actually want to use it for the purpose that we actually own it for. And then what happened was when both grand- sets of grandparents died, it was to the kids, okay, who wants the china? And it was, it was the exact same thing. It was like, well, I get it. Like, I get that it's expensive. I get that it's nicely made. Um, I get that it was important to mom or dad. But I, I don't know. I just don't have a use for it. It's kind of silly right now, right? If you have people come over to your house, you're coming over to your place, wherever you live. It's not like, let's bring out the nice plates. It's like, oh, let's get the paper plates. It's easier to clean. Or maybe it would be the kind of thing of like, well, maybe I'll take the China, like, when I settle down and have my own family, like, maybe when I'm, I'm not, I'm in transition right now. Like, I don't have, I'm not landed, I'm not grounded, I'm not rooted anywhere. So maybe when I get my own place, my own family, then I'll take the, then it'll have a place in my life. But right now, I don't really want it, and I have no use for it. I have no room for it in my life. And it's kind of one of those kind of things of like, I think of how many things are like that. That we can look at it and say, you know, it's important to someone else. And I get it, it's expensive, it's valuable. And I get it that it's well-made. I get, I get that it's important. But I, have, I really don't have any use for it in my life. There's no, no room for it in my life. And, and again, I was thinking about all of this because I don't know how many times I've had the conversation this week. We're just getting to know people. And I imagine you have done the same thing. And right when you get to know someone, especially the first week, the first couple of days of campus, you answer, answer the following three questions, the same three questions every single time. Um, what's your name? Where are you from? And what's your major? Right? Those are the three questions you have to like, oh, cool, yeah, who are you? And, and sometimes we can think that that's like being really shallow. Like, yeah, it's Minnesotan. We're not going to get deep at all. We're not going to get real. I think those questions are actually deeper than we think. Because they're, they're the questions are, who are you? Where are you from? Where are you going? What's your name? Who are you? Where are you from? What's your hometown? And what's your major? Where are you going? What are you planning to do with your life? So I think it's actually deeper than most people think, but that's just me. I wonder, though, if we were in a different state, if we would actually get deeper with our deep questions. Because even if you're not from Minnesota, you live here now, and we're just nice. <laughs> and nice means you stay out of each other's way. Like, nice means you don't challenge anyone. Minnesota nice is like, you don't get deep. you just kind of like, oh, hey, cool. Oh, you betcha. Okay, gosh, golly gee, I'll see you later. But... What if we went deep and asked someone like a deeper question than simply, what's your name? Where's your hometown? What's your major? So you will get to know this woman. Her name is Heather. And Heather is the coordinator of Newman, right? So um, like people say like, okay, so who's in charge really? I'm the director, which is more like a figurehead position. 
she's the coordinator, which means like I have an idea. Hey, we should do this, and then she actually makes sure it happens. So you're going to get to know Heather, get to know Heather if you don't know her yet in the course of the next couple of years. But Heather had a moment where someone like stepped into her life. She's from Minnesota, so she likes things nice and polite. But she was living in D.C. after she graduated from Saint Scholastica, and she's working somewhere at, well in D.C. with someone. And at one point, she had a neighbor who is not from Minnesota and was all about getting up in your face. And at one point, this woman said, "Heather, what do you believe?" Which is far deeper than like, where are you from? Tell me about your family. But so she says, Heather, what do you believe? And Heather said, well, she, no one had ever asked her this. So she said, well, uh, um, I was raised Lutheran and my mom and dad took us to church a lot growing up. But, but just recently, my parents became Catholic. So my two little sisters became Catholic too. And, um, and I went to a Catholic college and, and now I live in D.C. And the woman looked at her with this look of like disgust. And Heather says, what? And this woman, again, not from Minnesota. This will explain this. Not from Minnesota says, I guess I'm just really disappointed in your answer. <laughs> right, we wouldn't say that here. <laughs> we would say, thank you for sharing. Move on, you know? <laughs> looks at her, the woman looks at her and says, I guess I'm just really disappointed in your answer. And Heather's like, what are you talking about? And she said, I didn't ask you what your parents believed. I didn't ask you what your pedigree was. I didn't ask you where you went to church. I asked you, what do you believe about the truth of Jesus Christ? What do you believe about Jesus? Not what someone else believes. What do you believe about Jesus? What you just described was your inheritance. What do you own? Huge difference, right? And this is in the gospel today where Jesus comes up. He takes his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. And he asks these apostles, these disciples, two questions. One, what do other people say about me? What do other people believe about me? And I think it's really interesting to, for two reasons. One is because none of them are right. right? They're like, um, they say you're Elijah, or John the Baptist come back from the dead, or Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Like, all those answers are wrong. I think that's interesting. But even more interesting is the next question. Where Jesus says, okay, that's fine. But you, what, who do you say that I am? What do you believe about me? And in this moment, all of a sudden, this whole inheritance stuff of like, well, here's what other people believe. Here's what other people say. All of a sudden, it's now really incredibly personal. And all of a sudden, it's, wait, this can't be just an inherited faith. This has to be an owned faith. This can't just be what someone else thinks of you. This has to actually be like what I think of you. And that's the whole difference between a faith that's inherited and a faith that's owned. A faith that's theirs and a faith that's mine. Because just like the China, we can say about Jesus, like, I don't, well, I don't know, I mean... I know, it's, I know it's valuable. Like, I know it's good for people. And I know it's really helpful for my parents. It means a lot to them. I know it costs Jesus a lot. Um, it's expensive. Um, but I don't really have a place for it, right? Like, in my life, I don't really have much of a use for it here in college. Maybe when I settle down. Like, maybe when I settle down, I can, like, take the inheritance and I'll have a place for it in my life and I'll have a use for it in my life. But the problem is that question doesn't let go. The question, but you... Who do you say that Jesus is? That question just, it doesn't let go. And I got to tell you, it won't let go for the rest of your life. Even if you get to the point where you say what I hear so many people say. I've talked to so many people who will say these words. I was raised Catholic, but. I was raised Catholic, but. I was raised Catholic, but I never got into it, really. I was raised Catholic, but, but I never saw the point. Yeah, I was raised Catholic, but it didn't, didn't really make sense. I was raised Catholic, but I'm not sure what I believe. 
I was raised Catholic, but I was just bored the whole time. And that could be you right now. You could be, I, I was raised Catholic, but. Or you could be, I was raised Christian, but. And, and then, you, then we ask the question, like, but wait, but what? Maybe you've had this experience where you go to Mass and you're always bored. That's exactly, that's a great consequence of I was raised Catholic, but. Or you go to religious ed, maybe you're in high school into religious ed on the Wednesday night classes and stuff, and like, yeah, I didn't get it. It was dumb. I hated it. That's a great example of I was raised Catholic, but. Or maybe you even like have tried, like you read some books and you're like, I'm trying to kind of find out more of the truth. I want to find the answer. That's a great recipe for I was raised Catholic, but. But here's an important thing. If we are interested in changing that, and I'm going to tell you, I'm really interested in changing that. From I was raised Catholic, but to I was raised Catholic and. There's a couple important things. One is, this is not about just having the answer. Not just about knowing the right answer. I talked to a guy um, relatively recently. He had gone to St. Scholastica all four years of his college career. And at one point we were having this conversation. And I said, well, dude, what do you... I, I kind of had the talk, right? The, the Jesus with the disciples in Caesarea Philippi talk of... What do you believe? Because he said, I was raised, and he was raised a different denomination. I was raised this. But I said, okay, well, what do you believe? And he had the right answer. He said, well, I believe that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. I believe he's 100% God, 100% man. He's, he's uh, one divine person with two natures, human and divine. He had the answer. I'm like, dude, that's exactly right. But he had never met him. I meet people who go to Catholic high school who say, no, Father, listen, I know the answer. I know the answer to the question. I know the creed backwards and forwards, at least, at least forwards. I, I know, I know, I know the answer. But here's the crazy thing. What changes a person's life from but to and, what changes a person's life from a faith that's inherited to a faith that's owned is not having the answer, it's knowing the person. It's actually, is it's, it's, in the Old Testament, there's a book. It's phenomenal, and it rocks me every time I read it. It's the book of Job. You've probably heard of the book of Job, or the book of Job. We call him Job in this place. So the book of Job. Um, Job has a great life, right? Job is super blessed. Job is a good guy. And if you showed up to Mass on your first Sunday away from home, you are a good Job. Good job. Because... <laughs> Unintentional. But well done, because that means like you're a good person too, Right? I'm someone, I know the answer. I know who God is. I know what he wants of me. And so I'm going to show up and do the worship thing. And that's Job's story. He's a good person. And he knows the rules. And he knows what God wants of him. And he does it. He's a good guy. And then what happens is, all of a sudden, the bottom drops out. And no matter all the good stuff he did, all the things he knew, all the right answers he had, all of a sudden, they're just destroyed. And his children are dead. And his property is gone. And he finds himself in this terrible moment in scripture in the book of Job where he's on this, it's actually a, a pile of manure. He's covered with these sores and he's taking this broken piece of pottery and he's scratching at his sores because he just can't get any relief from the pain he's experiencing. And in this moment, all of a sudden a bunch of people come into Job's life and they say, Job, listen, you don't have the answer. Let me tell you about who God is. And they start trying to tell Job about God. And finally there's a moment in Job where he just breaks down and he stops being a good kid and he just becomes honest with God. He stops being a good guy who knows the answers and he starts being honest. And he says, I do not get this, God. 
Like, why in the world would you do this to me? Why in the world would you let this happen to me? And in the moment of brokenness, he has also had a moment of honesty. But here's the thing. The moment Job got honest, God got present. The moment when Job was able to say, listen, okay, maybe I'm not a good kid. Maybe I know the answer, but I don't know you. The moment God got, Job got honest, God got present. And God reveals himself to Job. And one of the things, so I was in high school when I first read the book of Job. They told me, this is, the, this is the great book about the problem of evil. Like, why does God let bad things happen to good people? Because that's who Job is. He's a good person. I remember reading it and being really disappointed. Because what happens in the book of Job is Job cries out to God. He finally gets honest. And then God shows up. And he says, basically to Job, he says, really? Job, were you there when I made the world? Oh, you, and actually, God gets really snarky and sarcastic. It's awesome. God's like, oh, I understand. You were the one who made the stars. I get it. Oh, I understand. You're the one who's been down to the bottom of the sea. Like, I, I realize this. And God gets super snarky with, with Job. And then at one moment, he just stops talking. And I was so frustrated when I read this as a high school student. I'm like, you didn't even answer, God. Like, you didn't say, okay, here's the Job. Here's the reason why I had to, you know, let bad things happen to you, even though you're a good person. He didn't answer me, but actually Job got his answer. And here's the, it's the last words of Job in the entire book of Job. After God says all these things, Job gets honest, God gets present, and Job says these words. Job answered the Lord, and this is chapter 42, if you want to look it up for yourself. Job answered the Lord, and he said, I know, God, that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be hindered. I have dealt with great things that I do not understand, things too wonderful for me which I cannot know. And here's the, here's the line. He says, I had heard of you by word of mouth. But now my eye has seen you. Therefore, I disown what I said, and I repent in dust and ashes. I don't know if you caught that. Job basically says, you know what? I had the answer before. I knew the right answer. But now, actually, I know you. And that makes all the difference. I had heard of what you were like, and now I've actually met you as you truly are. That is all of the difference. That would make, that's what is the difference between I was Catholic, raised Catholic, but, and I was raised Catholic and. And that's what this whole year is going to be about, you guys. This entire year, and hopefully the rest of your college career, is about how do you become the kind of person who can go from a faith that's inherited to a faith that's owned. Because the reality, reality of course, is that we don't have faith with a set of ideas. We have faith in a person. Like, we're going to get up in a few moments and say the creed. I believe in X, Y, and Z. That's not, that's not verbatim. We're going to say other things. But I don't actually believe in those things. I believe in him. I don't have faith in those words. I have faith in him. That's why St. Paul in the first letter, second letter to Timothy, chapter 1, verse 12, Paul describes the agony he's going through. And he says, I suffer all these things. But I know, he doesn't say I know what I believe. He says, I know in whom I believe. Paul went from, I was raised, but, to I was raised and. That's what this goal of this whole year is going to be. To help every person in this room be able to say, I've encountered God. I heard about him before, but now I've met him. My parents said, Here, here's, here's who he is, and I inherited that. But I realized you can't inherit a relationship. <laughs> you can say, yeah, this is my roommate's friend. But at some point, you spend enough time with your roommate's friend, hopefully they become the person you introduce says, this is my friend. I came here this morning because I'm here to worship my parents' God. I came here this morning because I came here to worship my parents' Lord. 
came here this morning to worship in my parents' faith. But the goal is to be able to say, now I was raised Catholic, and then I was part of a Bible study, and it changed my life. I was talking to a guy who said that he's part of a Bible study, and he said it was going along, trip, trip, uh, you know, moving forward. And it wasn't until he became friends with the Bible study leader that all of a sudden he said, my life changed. Because through that friendship, I met Jesus. And now we can say, I was raised Catholic, and then I was part of a Bible study, and I met Christ through those, that group of guys. Others can say, um, I was raised Catholic, and then I stopped just saying my prayers and started praying. Talked to a guy last night who said that was his whole story. All in his college, he had heard about God, heard about God, heard about God. And then he said, you know what? I'm just going to pray. I'm going to make it a thing. I'm not going to say my prayers. I'm going to pray. I'm not just going to talk about God to God. I'm going to talk to God. He said, I was raised Catholic. And then I actually just started praying. And I met him. I can't tell you how many people come here on Sundays. At the end of the four years, they'll say, I was raised Catholic. And after going to Mass, I finally know who I really am. I finally know who he really is because I've been going to Mass. You can encounter him through, as I said, Bible studies and friendships, through prayer, through Mass. We have retreats, the last one. I think we, in three weekends, we're putting on a first-timer's retreat. It's for anyone who hasn't been on retreat in college. And I can, I can pretty honestly say that I think 100% of people who have gone on that retreat will come back and say, I was raised Christian and it wasn't until this weekend that my life changed and I finally met the one I've been talking about my whole life. I was raised Catholic and it wasn't until this moment that all of a sudden this is no longer an inherited faith, this is my faith. No longer um, an inherited relationship, this is my relationship. So this is the last thing. So I have the question. Um, what's going to change in your life this semester that will change your life from a but to an and? Like what's going to happen? Just with, what will change in your life this semester that will change your relationship or your faith from a but to an and? So it's not someone else's answer. So it's, it's, it's not someone else's relationship. So it's not someone else's inheritance. But it's your answer. Your relationship. So that it's a faith you haven't merely inherited, but a faith that you own.